Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Let me take you to the party. Lake Tahoe swinging party. For decades, Lake Tahoe has been a backyard playground for many who live in the Bay Area. There's water sports and biking in the summer, some superb hiking in the spring and fall, and my personal favorite, skiing all winter long. If you dig through old advertisements, you find that Lake Tahoe was once a place that offered retreat for city dwellers looking to get away from the crowds. Check out this Squaw Valley commercial from the late 1980s. I've loved skiing for over 50 years, but I hate waiting in line. And in the whole world, only Squaw Valley guarantees no waiting in line or your money back. So what are you waiting for? Kids under 13 and over 65 ski Squaw Valley for only $5. Things have gotten a bit more crowded and a lot more expensive since then. A few months ago, we asked for your questions about the lake. Today, we'll take on a few urban legends. Are there dead bodies at the bottom of the lake? Is Tahoe Tessie real? Plus, a serious question, too. Why is it important to keep Tahoe blue? I'm Olivia Allen Price. This is Bay Curious. And this week, we're collaborating with the makers of the Tahoe Land podcast from Capital Public Radio. Stay with us. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast. With an S. Thanks. Support for Bay Curious comes from the Institute on Aging, running the Dementia Enrichment Day Center, providing specialized care for those with dementia or Alzheimer's. Learn more at ioaging.org. I'm here with Ezra David Romero, host of Tahoe Land, Capital Public Radio's new podcast about how the Tahoe you know and love is changing. Scientists are predicting a place with less snow, more extreme wildfires, and a lake that could even turn green. Ezra investigates all this in the series, and we teamed up with Tahoe Land to answer your questions about the lake. Hey, Ezra. 
Hey there. Okay, so our first question comes from listener Casey Jones. And I have to admit, this is a question that I have too. So you're doing (laughs) double duty answering this for us. Are the depths of Lake Tahoe so deep that the lack of light, oxygen, and life stops decay and there are dead bodies floating in perfect preservation at these depths? Lake Tahoe is one of the deepest lakes in North America at 1,645 feet deep. You know, in our reporting, I kept on hearing all these rumors about these perfectly preserved dead bodies in the lake. We heard from a guy named Dave Antonucci. He's a Tahoe historian in that area. So let's hear from what he, what he has to say. The water of Lake Tahoe is alive with microorganisms and larger organisms that feed on dead plant and animal matter. So over time, what happens is the body decomposes as it normally would, and all you're left with is fillings body piercings, and joint replacements. So no dead bodies. Things may just decompose slower because it's colder and there's less light. I love that answer because I will admit, every time I'm in Lake Tahoe, I'm thinking about the bodies that I believed were down at the bottom of the lake. So I will swim a little easier next time. When I was a kid, we'd go out on the lake on a boat, and there's this moment in the podcast where we talk about my dad throwing us off the boat and just us being freaked out that we can't see the bottom and thinking there's just giant fish down there. Well, speaking of giant fish that might be in the lake, that gets us to question number two, which comes from Allison Savage from San Francisco. And she wants to know, what's the history behind the Tahoe Tessie legend? Now, for people who don't know, Ezra, what is Tahoe Tessie? Tahoe Tessie is this like prehistoric looking monster that people claim is in the lake. It's kind of like the Loch Ness Monster or other monsters in lakes around the world that you see in popular fiction and things like that. Big, mythical, dinosaur looking thing. Yeah, something with a long neck and like flippers or something like that. You know, (laughs) We asked Dave about this as well, and he points out that Lake Tahoe's only a couple million years old. So if there is a monster living in the lake, it's no way it can be prehistoric. He says people, though, have seen shadows or debris or maybe this big fish called a sturgeon. It's been around for a long time, and if you've seen one, it, it kind of has a prehistoric look to it. It's kind of scaly with large fins and a, a kind of a dinosaur-looking snout. They grow quite large. They can grow up to 22 feet long, and the conditions are in Lake Tahoe are such that they could survive. So Tahoe testing might not be a real thing, but there are all kinds of critters in Lake Tahoe, lake trout, shrimp, crawdads, all kinds of things that are actually living there that don't belong. There is one organism in particular that is having monstrous effects. Tell us about that. They're called mysis shrimp. They're about half an inch long. They're clear. um, And they live at the bottom of the lake. And the reason why they're an issue is because they eat up all the good organisms in the lake that clear Lake Tahoe's water. We went out there to help remove them with the UC Davis scientists. So let's hear a little bit of the podcast from that night. It's the middle of the night, and I'm on a boat with Grant. We're here to catch some shrimp. We're headed south out of Tahoe City down to Emerald Bay. Uh, One of the more scenic parts on the lake. Introducing these little shrimp into the lake has completely changed the aquatic system. But how did they even get here? Well, it was the 1960s, and authorities in California and Nevada put them in there as fish food. When I first got here, I was working on the deep-living lake trout. At certain times of the year, they were stuffed full of these shrimp. These shrimp don't like light, so they lurk near the bottom during the day. The lake is so deep that the fish can't see them, so they don't eat them. That whole fish food idea was a bust, and the shrimp population boomed. 
When the sun sets, the shrimp travel to the surface. That's why we're out here at night. We just came into Emerald Bay, and this is really one of the jewels of Lake Tahoe. We're surrounded by snow-capped peaks, and the water here is just this beautiful emerald color. So this is where we're working on the shrimp, and we're looking at how to harvest them most efficiently. The bad news is that the shrimp eat microscopic organisms called zooplankton that keep Lake Tahoe's water clear and blue. And what we're going to do is we started down here, kind of in the, the southwest part of the bay. We're going to transit the full deep length of the bay. When we get down to this end, we're going to make a U-turn. This idea to remove the shrimp developed from a strange occurrence almost a decade ago. In 2011, the shrimp all but disappeared in Emerald Bay for no apparent reason. What happened next shocked researchers. The bay's water clarity doubled. It was clearer than the rest of the lake. The shrimp came back, though, and then the water got cloudy again. Now Brant's team is working to reenact that strange moment by removing the shrimp with nets at night. All right, we got doors. Bring bloom in. Katie Semft is one of the researchers. We'll go ahead and we'll grab a five-gallon bucket, put a little bit of lake water in it, cut open the bottom of the net so we can take a look at how many mice we got. Here's Brant's hypothesis. If they can take 75% of the shrimp out of the lake, its crystal clear glory measured in 1968 will return. You could potentially use a whole fleet of autonomous boats that left their slip when the recreational boating is done, go out and trawl, or use other techniques like pumping shrimp up and treating them with UV light or using that warm water treatment. When they're done, maybe at four in the morning before recreational boating starts, all of those autonomous boats go back and dock themselves in their slips. It sounds a little crazy, but the technology is there. Envision a fleet of autonomous boats vacuuming up shrimp every night. They're kind of like Roombas on the water. This would take a lot of money and a lot of time, but it'd be huge for tourism and the lake's ecology. I asked Brandt's boss, Jeff Schlatto, about this. There's actually a lot of hope there. There is a way forward on clarity. And where this ties in with climate change is that if you have a lot of the native zooplankton back, then even if sediments are coming in at the surface in a warmer lake, in a rain-dominated system, they're, they're set up to, to deal with that. Why is it so important that we keep Tahoe blue? I feel like I see those signs all over the place whenever I'm up anywhere near Tahoe. It's two things, right? It's this aesthetic value that we assign to the lake. You know, I grew up going to Lake Tahoe, and I know coming over that ridge, you see that blue water, how it's supposed to look. And if that goes away, you know, it's just it's just a change in mentality about this place. But secondly, it's also a sign of a changing ecosystem. It could kill off things that live in there now, native fish, native plants, and it would just become a different place altogether. So it's kind of like, what do we want this place to become? What are scientists saying about all this? So I spoke with one of the top environmental researchers in all of Tahoe. His name's Jeff Schlatto. He's with UC Davis. And he told me he's not sure how long it would take for this process to happen, of the lake turning blue to green or this entire ecosystem changing. But he says all of this hinges on how we take care of Lake Tahoe. So I brought my buddy Charlie Pickrell with me to this interview, and he asked Jeff a question that I think gets to the heart of this matter. What are things that you think that we could do, or maybe that you would do yourself, so that when we do visit, that we're having less of an impact on the quality of the lake itself? It starts with how you're getting here. 
and I wish there were better options uh, on how to get here, but there aren't. You're more or less obligated to have a, have a vehicle, and that creates a lot of congestion. It also creates a lot of pollutant input to the lake. So the fact that you're standing in traffic for an hour in the middle of summer, even if you're lucky enough to have a view of the lake, you're not helping it by just idling there. We get a lot more into that in the first episode of the podcast when we explore this idea of keeping Tahoe blue and what the issues are around climate change and actually preserving the lake. And where can people listen? At capradio.org slash Tahoeland or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. Well, as for David Romero, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks to our question askers this week, Casey Jones and Allison Savage. We've answered more of your questions about Lake Tahoe online. Questions like, what would it take to have more frequent train service from the Bay Area to Truckee? Visit baycurious.org for that answer and more, or check out our show notes. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Have a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's Trivia Game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks.